Welcome back, everyone. This is Treks to Nowhere. During the summer of 2017, I found myself in the greater Denver area with an entire weekend at my disposal. In an attempt to bag all 58 of Colorado's 14,000-foot peaks, I decided that this would make for the perfect window to attempt some of the peaks in the Blanca group of the Sangre de Cristo range. The Blanca group, so named because of its most prominent and eponymous mountain, Blanca Peak, actually contains three official 14ers. These three official peaks include the obvious Blanca Peak at 14,350 feet, but also Ellingwood Point at 14,057 feet, and Little Bear Peak at 14,041 feet. Now, in order to attempt a summit of any of these tightly grouped peaks, one must first make their way up the lengthy and very difficult Lake Como Road. This road is impassable by just about any type of conventional vehicle, including jeeps or even lifted trucks. The only way to really drive up this road is via dirt bike or heavily modified 4x4 vehicle. As such, any summit attempt typically consists of a five-mile approach hike from the lower and more accessible parking area. This generally means that most aspiring climbers will hike up to the upper Lake Como, set up camp, and then go after one or more of the summits the following day. Unfortunately, I didn't have any camping gear with me on this trip, and so decided my only option was to simply park at the lower trailhead well before sunrise and hike up Lake Como Road in the dark and very early hours of the morning. By doing this, it would put me in the Lake Como Basin by sunrise and ostensibly the higher Crater Lake Basin at almost 13,000 feet not long after. From there, I could then plan to summit Blanca Peak, as it is the highest and most prominent of the group, and then perhaps, with time and energy permitting, I might in theory contour over and try to bag Ellingwood Point as well, before heading back down to the car. On the maps, this looked entirely doable, as Ellingwood Point falls essentially on the same ridgeline less than a half a mile away. Assuming the traverse route over wasn't too technical or difficult, this should be possible. However, most of the hike reports that I could find online had climbers doing the peaks on different days so it certainly planted some doubt as to whether or not an attempt at such a double were possible. The only real question would be the weather. In the summer months in the high peaks of Colorado, there are almost always daily thunderstorms that roll in around noon. I would not want to be up on any of the exposed high peaks or ridges if lightning were even remotely possible. This is probably also a big reason why most climbers only do one peak per day. Still, I decided that I would assess things once I was actually on the summit of Blanca Peak. Of course, there was also Little Bear Peak, which I would have to do on a follow-up visit anyway, as it was further out of the way from the other two peaks, and is also listed as a Class 4 summit. I had never done a Class 4 peak before in all of my 14er peak bagging, and the final crux pitch up to the Little Bear Summit was apparently quite dangerous. Near its summit, climbers are presented with a feature that's dubbed the Hourglass, 
which given its shape, results in a natural funnel of sorts. This means that hikers entering the hourglass from below are at constant risk of rockfall funneling in towards them. Needless to say, helmets are a must for this summit, as is a very loud voice for yelling out intentions from below. Never mind the fact that the hourglass is also a smooth surface chute that has permanent ropes in place to help with the climb. It goes without saying that reaching the summit of Little Bear presents a very difficult climb that merits proper planning and acquiring all available beta. With that all said, we will come back to this peak in a little bit. Now being a weekend, I thought for sure the mountains of the Blanca group would be busy, but apparently the thunderstorms late on Friday night and the looming forecast for Saturday had spooked a lot of people away. This, of course, ultimately worked to my advantage and played a very large part in my eventual decision-making during my hike. For most of my hike, I had the entire mountains to myself. Of course, being alone on very difficult Class 3 pitches also resulted in some very palpable and heightened anxiety. On Friday night, I drove down to Alamosa and stayed in a motel and was up very early Saturday morning and over to the Lake Como Lower Trailhead, starting my hike at exactly 5 a.m. I ended up parking at about 8,500 feet elevation and about 5 miles from Lake Como. I started hiking immediately with a steady pace of about 2.5 miles per hour. I used a headlamp for the first 30 minutes or so, but then as the sun crept over the horizon, it was bright enough to go without. The mosquitoes on this road walk were horrendous, and part of the reason I was hiking so quickly. If I stopped for any reason, even for just a few moments, I would get swarmed. I did pack some DEET at the last minute and was glad that I had it. I was effectively doused in it by this point. The initial road hike presents fairly easy walking and progresses through a series of switchbacks up the west approach of the mountains. Every now and then I'd look back down to the road and see my car getting smaller and smaller in the distance. It's amazing how fast you can gain elevation hiking up an approach road. Eventually, at about 10,000 feet, I finally got into the wooded area and began hitting the very technical road obstacles on the Lake Como Road. As I hiked around some of these horrific obstructions, I realized just how impassable they are with any stock vehicle. The warnings about this road on the peak bagging websites are definitely warranted. I continued to hike steadily and eventually arrived at the lake exactly two hours later, right at 7 a.m. I took a break to gobble down some calories and then continued on up to the higher Crater Lake Basin, which sits closer to 13,000 feet. I spotted a handful of climbers on the ascent of Blanca in the distance, but otherwise no noticeable crowds or larger groups. There were still a few lingering snowdrifts to walk along or dodge as I progressed towards Crater Lake, but they were all very minor, and the remaining portion of the trail went quickly. I made my way along some additional switchbacks by a prominent waterfall, and then shortly after was at the bottom of the inner basin, looking up at the connecting ridge between Blanca and Ellingwood. Again, I was surprised at the complete lack of other climbers on the mountains. 
The ascent up to the ridgeline requires navigating through a few rocky sections, but nothing beyond difficult class two. I found myself starting up the ridge by about 8.30 and decided to take a short break there to mentally prepare myself. There was one group of about six climbers all just ahead of me, and then a couple of groups of two at various sections along the final climb. Over on Ellingwood, I saw no one. When I talked to the other climbers I saw on the trail, they were all extremely worried about the forecast. They were all convinced that it was going to open up with extreme thunderstorms right around noon, if not sooner. They had all abandoned the idea of doing Ellingwood after their Blanca summit, even though it was still several hours before noon. I will note at this point that the sky was still entirely clear. I chose to ride close to the ridgeline on the final ascent up to the summit, as I simply found it to be more enjoyable. It had a few Class 3 sections, and I relished the boulder scrambling. I passed the big group of six while they were taking a break, and then near the summit, I cut over onto an obvious trail. I arrived on the summit just before 9 a.m., and the timing worked out such that I was the only one there at that moment. There was one climber who was just leaving and kindly snapped a picture of me just before heading down. While on the summit, I also snapped a few pictures of both Ellingwood Point and Little Bear Peak. As I peered over to Little Bear, I had remembered that there was actually a ridgeline traverse that many climbers will do that connects back to Blanca. I gazed out along this traverse, and it looked terrifying. It's rated Class 5 in many places and is not for the faint of heart. I always told myself that when I did decide to attempt a Little Bear Summit, it would be using the longer, standard approach, which begins back down by Lake Como. I took a ten-minute break on the summit of Blanca and then began to make my way down. I again chose to ride close to the ridgeline. When I made it back to the saddle between Blanca and Ellingwood, I looked down and could not find the published Class 2 trail that contours over. The higher and more difficult Class 3 published traverse trail was clearly visible from the large cairn at the top of the saddle. I gave a quick glance up to the sky, and all still looked clear and stable. My legs still had some fire in them, so I decided to go for it, and would use the higher Ellingwood traverse route. There were definitely a few difficult Class 3 sections along the traverse, but overall, it really wasn't that tricky. There are clearly visible cairns along most of the portions of the traverse until you clear the final gully. From the gully, and once you begin the final climb, I found it to be somewhat of a choose-your-own-adventure style of hike, and I took a line that looked easiest and got me to the summit the quickest. The nice part here was that I only had to climb about 600 feet from the saddle to gain the Ellingwood summit. I crested first on a false summit, so had to then pop over on a short hike before finally reaching the proper summit. I was again the only climber on top, and I took about 10 minutes to rest, refuel, and snap a few photos. I sat for a while just admiring the view and the gorgeous day. I remember thinking to myself that it was such a shame that so many of the other hikers had abandoned their hike over to Ellingwood. It was a fairly easy hike and the views were honestly better than from Blanca. And the weather, well, it was still absolutely perfect. 
From the time I left the summit of Blanca Peak to the time I arrived on Ellingwood Point, I clocked only about 45 minutes. I was genuinely shocked at how short the entire traverse had been. A short while later, at exactly 10 a.m., I left the summit with the goal of just making it back down to Lake Como before any potential bad weather might roll in. On my way down from Ellingwood, I chose to look for a shortcut back to the main trail. I descended from the summit and about halfway down, I found a faint trail that cuts back across to the approach trail. This trail avoided the few lingering snow patches and was a much quicker and more direct way down. I reconnected back with the primary hiking trail just a few hundred feet down from the ridgeline cairn. From there, I shifted back to my brisk hiking pace and pushed continuously all the way back to Lake Como. When I got back to Lake Como right around 11 a.m., the trail curved its way around a copse of trees before crossing the bottom of a large gully and talus field. Incidentally, it's in this gully where the trail splits off for the Little Bear Summit. I looked up at the nearly cloudless sky, and a thought crept into my head. That thought was this. I wonder if it's possible to do all three summits in one day, starting from the lower trailhead. Surely this was a terrible idea, though. It was already almost eleven, and the weather was sure to roll in. But there was almost no one on the mountains, and likely no one at all on Little Bear. If the weather did hold, this might be the best opportunity to bag it without fear of rockfall or other climbers in the hourglass. The previous night in the hotel, I did download all of the trail and route information for Little Bear just out of curiosity, and I did have my helmet on me. I gave a very long and thoughtful look up to the sky, and then made the decision to at least scope it out. I figured I could climb up the large gully and assess conditions once on top. If it looked too dangerous or the weather began to turn in any way, I could simply abort and head back down to the lake. I was definitely getting tired, but figured I at least had to give it a look. I also thought about having to do the long road walk again someday in the future, just to complete Little Bear. Not a big deal, but it was definitely something to think about. It would certainly be nice to leave this area of peaks with all of the 14ers checked off. Now, there was the obvious issue of the infamous hourglass. I had never done a route with Class 4 components, nor a route considered so dangerous. Little Bear is one of the 14er peaks that usually incurs at least one death per year and is ranked in the top five for most difficult and dangerous of all of the 58 peaks. I knew very well that should I get to the bottom of the hourglass, if it appeared either busy with other climbers or simply too dangerous and outside my comfort zone, I would simply turn back. But again, I had a hunch that there would likely be no one else on the mountain, especially given the later hour. As I moved along the route, it did become apparent quickly that I was in fact alone on the route, which of course meant that I would not only have to summit the peak by myself, but climb the entire route by myself. The 800-plus-foot climb up the first gully from Lake Como was somewhat of a nuisance. 
The ground was very loose and I was constantly sliding. I did eventually find a route along the right side of the gully that had more stable footing that I was able to follow for most of the way up. Along the upper half of the gully, there were also a few lingering snow patches that were melting fast and provided a nice spot to refill my water bottles. There's nothing quite like good, clean snowmelt water to quench your thirst. As I neared the top of the gully, I could definitely tell that I was getting tired. The constant sliding was exhausting and my legs were barking with serious fatigue. Once on the top of the gully, at about 12,600 feet, I rounded a corner and began the long and slow ascent up along the backside of the ridge over to the base of the hourglass. This section went along somewhat quickly until about a quarter of a mile short of the hourglass. At this point, the trail cairns became more sporadic and I was often just making my best guess on what direction I needed to go. As you approach the hourglass from this section, it is very clearly visible from afar. So as long as you roughly eyeball and aim for it, you will eventually come right up on it. When I approached this looming feature, I was still several hundred feet below the actual entrance, so I still had to climb quite a bit of loose and slippery rock to assess its difficulty at its proper entrance. As I neared the fixed climbing rope at the bottom of the hourglass, I very loudly started calling up the mountain. I wanted to make my presence known and see if there was anyone above me. I called up loudly several times, but never heard a response. Again, I suspected that I was alone, but I was still quite nervous. This is the place along the route where most of the fatalities occur. As I stood at the base of the rope about to start my first ever Class 4 ascent, I looked up at the sky. I remembered the warning on the 14ers.com website that states, quote, This is a good place to turn around if the weather is turning. Unquote. I peered intently at the sky, and there were a few noteworthy cumulus clouds starting to brew, but still, nothing overtly ominous. It was right at noon as I gripped the rope, and I did some last-minute climbing math in my head. I only had about 800 feet of gain left to reach the summit, but I calculated that if it took me 30 to 45 minutes to reach it, I still likely wouldn't get back to Lake Como until well after 2 p.m., which definitely worried me. I was very likely going to get rained on during the road hike back to the car, but possibly even on the descent back to Lake Como from the summit. I managed to convince myself that as long as I could make it back below treeline before any thunderstorms rolled in, I would be okay. So, given all of these variables, I decided to push on, but without any delay and with purpose. As I noted, the cumulus clouds were increasing in numbers at this point, but still not enough to have me entirely nervous yet. I knew I'd have no time to dawdle, however. I began the hourglass climb doing my best to find the most stable lines. I found this section to be incredibly satisfying. I was nervous about the class 4, but found it to be quite rewarding and frankly just exciting. I used the rope a few times to help pull myself up, but I wasn't wearing a harness and wasn't clipping in at all. 
There were a few times that I felt like a true rock climber having to find holds and plant my feet to pull myself up, but I never really felt scared or in extreme danger. Every few minutes I'd call out my presence and listen for replies. Still, no answers. By this point, I was absolutely convinced I was alone on the mountain. I looked back several times at the route I was coming up and never saw any other hikers approaching from behind either. I assumed anyone else figured it was just too late in the day to attempt a summit at this point. After making my way through the hourglass, I began the final pitch up to the top. I chose to go left out of the hourglass and found myself a couple of times looking up at a gnarly section bordering on class 5. At one point, I did have to downhike a slight bit and shift over to a better ascent line, but once on it, I realized that it was actually the correct route. This was confirmed when I spotted a couple of smaller cairns near the summit. I eventually reached the summit at about 12.45 and the sky was now starting to look a little more ominous. I took a few quick pictures, filled up on some sugary snacks, and then immediately began heading back down. I knew the down climbs through the hourglass and the gully back down to the lake would take a fair amount of time, so I didn't want to waste any precious minutes. The rains were definitely coming, and I kept telling myself that as long as I was back down to the lake before the storms hit, I'd be okay. The down climb through the hourglass was slow, but consistent. I called out many times during the down climb just to make sure that if there was anyone below me, they would hear me. But again, there was never any response. I used the rope a couple of times to help with a few sections, but mostly just kept it slow and looked for good places to plant my feet. I did have to sit on my backside a few times to scooch down some of the steeper sections, but I was glad to make it through the hourglass with dry conditions. When wet, I can imagine it being exceedingly dangerous. Once at the bottom and back onto the traverse route over to the top of the gully, I picked up my pace considerably. The sky was now completely gray and overcast, and it was beginning to look like rain was imminent. I just had to make it over to the gully and then back down to the lake, and any worries of lightning would be much more subdued. In less than 30 minutes, I was back at the top of the gully, ready to make my scree-filled descent back to the lake. I heard a few thunder rumblings and it kicked me into high gear a bit. As I descended, I began flailing around and wiping out regularly. This was definitely the most frustrating descent of the day. I tried to stay on the same side that I climbed up as much as possible to avoid the loosest of the rock, but still slid on my backside several times. The rain somehow continued to hold off, although the thunder was growing louder and louder. With every foot in elevation that I dropped, the more safe I felt. When I did finally make it back down to the creek at the bottom of the gully, still dry and in the safety of the forest canopy, I sat for several minutes to refill my bottles. What a long day, I thought. My GPS watch was now clocking about 16 total miles, and I still had well over five back to the car. I took a brief shady break, eating the rest of whatever food I was carrying, and enjoyed a few quick moments of sunshine that peeked through the mostly cloud-filled sky. I knew that I'd probably still get rained on heavily during the road descent, but I wasn't worried anymore. 
and I had my full rain gear with me to keep me dry. Even if my rain gear failed and I did manage to get soaked all the way through, I had now successfully completed all three peaks in the Blanca group and would not have to return. This was an incredibly satisfying thought and realization. As I started down the road, I thought about how I didn't encounter a single other soul on the entire Little Bear route. If somehow I were presented with a real life-threatening emergency along that route, I did thankfully still have my satellite messenger that I was carrying that had an emergency beacon built in. But thankfully, other than a few cuts and scrapes, I came away from the entire ordeal unscathed and managed to complete my 14er summit hat trick without issue. The easy-paced hike down to the car was actually quite pleasant. I put on my old iPod shuffle and listened to some good tunes as the miles simply ticked away. Every time the sky looked like it was about to open up on me or the thunder grew louder, the sun would then somehow come back out for a brief moment. When I made it back down to about 9,000 feet and about a mile and a half from the car, I finally started seeing lightning strikes up over the peaks. Where I was, however, it was still dry as a bone. As I approached my car about 30 minutes later, at the end of a very long 23-mile day, I finally felt the first raindrop. I laughed at the perfect timing of it all. Shortly after, as I drove down the road with a large grin on my face, my car got a much-needed wash. A few stats from the hike. I was back at my car a little after 4 p.m. with a total trip time of just over 11 hours. I did hike a total of about 23 miles and climbed about 9,000 feet of elevation. Most importantly, I proved that it is entirely possible to do all three of the Blanca Group 14er peaks in one day from the lower parking lot. If I had to do it again, however, I would probably start the hike before 4 a.m. to avoid any potential thunderstorms. The truth is that I got exceptionally lucky with the storms holding off so late into the afternoon, especially given the forecast. The very next weekend following this Blanca group hat trick, I summited the nearby Mount Lindsay to complete the Southern Sangre de Cristo 14ers. Today, Mount Lindsay is no longer accessible to the general public due to private property claims, so I'm glad I was able to bag it when I did. And that, my friends, is the story. Thank you so much for following along on this trek to nowhere as we looped around the high country of Colorado on a 14er frenzy of peaks in the Blanca group of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. In the next episode, we'll stay on this theme of high point loops with a journey around the southern United States on a quest to reach as many state high points as possible in a single weekend. Take care, everyone and be safe out there.